The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you. Great to have you here. And as you know, for the next 30 minutes, a frank, open, honest conversation about gambling addiction and addicts like myself uh, who have stories to share and tell to hopefully save other people from going down the same road that I went down. As always, joining me uh, from Epic Risk Management is our pal Dan Trelaro. Danny, good morning. How are you? I'm great, Craig. It's good to be with you today. How are you today? Doing great. Great to have you back. As Dan has been uh, crisscrossing the country talking to uh, a lot of college athletes about the perils, the potential perils at least, of gambling. And always good to be back with Dan. And joining us from uh, Canada today is Alana. And while Alana (laughs) is not a gambling addict, she has an amazing story to tell about addiction. And one of the things I think is important for people out there is to view gambling addiction in the same manner we view uh, alcohol addiction and drug addiction. So there's a lot of commonality in the way addicts process, whether it's a drink, drugs, and in my case, in Dan's case, uh, gambling. Alana, we appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us. Of course. Never thank me. It's always my pleasure. Really happy to be here. What is and was your addiction? Um, So I, yeah, so, um, you know, there's a word that gets thrown around treatment and it's called DOC, which is not my favorite type of word because it implies that I had a choice. Um, But, you know, I would say what I worship the most um, was probably alcohol, but I was an upper downer all arounder. So you put it in front of me, I never discriminated. Um, and my addiction would just take over. And give us, give us kind of the 30,000 foot picture. The addiction cost you what, and how bad did it become for you? Oh, I mean, I burned my house right to the ground and just, you know, you'll hear a lot about bottoms. And you would think that bottoms, you would just stop. But the thing with my bottoms was that I would just erode the rock and keep going. Um, So I, you know, I lost all my sense of self. I, you know, in my addiction, um, my family, my friends, everything that I loved and cherished were actually collateral damage. And they came burning down with me. Um, I lost my job. Um, I lost, you know, my house. No financial freedom anymore. Um, yeah, and nobody wanted to be around me, so I was very much alone. Was um, there was there a point in your life, um, and I asked this, uh, let me just give you the juxtaposition to, to me, and I think I'll speak for Dan on this one. There was mm-hmm. a point when gambling was fun for me. There was a point when I could mm-hmm. do it socially, recreationally, and it was a good time, and it wasn't a problem, and I could handle it. And I mm-hmm. wonder for you, when is there, was there a point in your life when you look back on it with clarity now where you were able to have a couple glasses of wine at dinner, go out to the bar with girlfriends and have a couple shots or a drink and it didn't overtake you. Was there a moment in your life when you were able to drink socially and casually or no? Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a really great question. Um, so you know, when I look back on my life, my disease was definitely progressive. So, um, you know, there were times where I could turn the tap on and off, but I have never really drank like a like a normal person. Um, 
two drinks is just like, I would be like, what, like, what's the point of that? So I always drank alcoholically. I just had no idea that that's what I was doing. I just thought that was normal. Um, Yeah, of course, there were times where it was fun. Um, You know, it helped me get outside myself, get outside my head. It provided me with, you know, all sorts of ease and comfort. But um, it was usually fun with problems for the most part. Got it. Was there a point where something happened and you turned to the bottle for comfort? Or was it, as you're saying, two drinks became five drinks, became blackout drunk, became whatever became for you. It just was progressive, regardless of there being some type of traumatic or causal event in your life that made you seek solace in the bottle. Yeah. Um, so I believe that I was always primed to be an alcoholic, but, uh, yeah. So there was definitely a moment in my life where, uh, it just progressed overnight. Um, I went through a very, very traumatic divorce, I had three little kids under the age of five, um, and I did not know how to handle life on life's terms. And what got me through that, through the pain and the anxiety and all the trauma that came from that experience, was the minute that I picked up alcohol. Um, I had I had this sense of ease, and it took away a lot of what I was feeling, and I wanted to numb out. And that was it. I literally overnight, I could not put the bottle down. Dan, give me, your, give me your take on it uh, in relation to gambling and gambling addicts. Is there commonality in that kind of mental processing or no? Yeah, you know, Alana just shared something that we see common across the different addictions. And that, that's why we can celebrate those similarities in a, in a way, because that was escape. Like you were, Alana, it sounds like you were just drinking to escape stuff that you don't want to deal with, you don't know how to deal with, you've been dealing with it so much, it's just weighing on you. So you choose the bottle and alcohol to escape those feelings, much the same way that people will use gambling to escape intense feelings that either they were never taught or just don't want to deal with. So both can be a form of escape. And what's, what's fascinating is that oftentimes we see addiction switching that can take place. So people who struggle with gambling disorder, oftentimes, I believe the numbers around 60% of people who struggle with gambling disorder also struggle with alcohol use disorder. So while Alana never really had experience with gambling, it's not far removed to say that there's a lot of similarities to see that someone could switch if they're not working on those deeper underlying issues. Right. Or, hey, if I can't gamble today, I got to find something to make me feel better, to make me feel, you know, whatever the sense is, right? Yep. It's always like searching for something external to actually fix my internal condition. The problem for any addict is, is, the problem is actually me. So I just right? have to I have to ask, yep. and I will apologize for asking. There, I assume there had to be a moment when you look back now where you had to have been making bad decisions that could have negatively impacted the well-being of your kids, no? Yeah, of course there was. I mean, that's the, that's the insanity of it, right? Yeah. Is that it's this disease of perception where it just, one side of my mind produces bulls and the other side buys into it, right? Right. And so what happens is, is that, you know, I make excuses or I justify my behavior or, you know, I think it's not that bad or I think, you know, it won't affect my kids in the same way. And, and, and I go, and I go through with it and, you know, I can't see how bad things really are. Because all I am thinking about is what I need to survive. It becomes like a way for me to survive. And like how am I going to, yeah. What was for you your kind of bottom of the barrel moment? What led you, like what happened in your life 
where you woke up one day, whether it was willingly or against your will, I suppose, and said, okay, I admit it. I've got a problem. I own having a problem. And not only do I admit that I have a problem, I'm also now going to lean on other people to help me to solve this problem. Did I assume something really bad happened or a culmination of bad things happened? If you don't mind sharing, you know, what led yeah. you to go from that level of drinking and making bad decisions to, okay, I own it. I'm going to get help. Yeah. That, so it was, I mean, it wasn't an overnight thing for me. So part of my story is the fact that I really struggled um, to, to get myself well. I've been in, you know, six treatment centers at the time in and out for five years. I, you know, I'd gone through a lot on my own trying to get sober, detoxes, meetings, you name it, and nothing was really working for me. So it wasn't that I didn't want, I didn't realize that I didn't have a problem. It's that I didn't realize what it would take to, like, I knew a lot about getting sober, for example, but I didn't know much about living in sobriety. And that was always the problem for me. So it did take a really hard bottom for me. Um, and I, I, the reason why I was able to get help the last time I went to a treatment center in Toronto um, called Bellwood, and the reason why I was able to actually accept help that, that sixth time was that, you know, I somehow, I don't know, call it grace, but I was able to see that what I wanted the most was to be with my family and with my kids. And I held on to that. And, you know, that got me through, you know, seven weeks of treatment. But I actually hit a very hard bottom before that where I, you know, I was handcuffed, put in jail um, and facing some serious criminal charges. And that's when I it just, you know, it all flashed before me of like how serious um, and how fatal because I was playing Russian roulette with my life, the way that I was mixing all sorts of addictions together um, and that I would either continue to go on that way um, and slowly kill myself and everyone around me. I would either be fatal and I'd be six feet under, or I would finally accept help and change. Did you ever get to a place where you contemplated not waking up the next day? Of course I did. Um, of course I did. Um, when you're that stuck in your addiction and it's like, it kind of feels like, you know, quicksand. It's like, it's like, it keeps pulling me down and I'm trying to get up above it and I'm trying to, you know, to get help. And I just somehow keep getting sucked back in. Like that's how powerful this thing is. Um, yeah, of course. I started to hate who I was. I started to hate how I was showing up. I started to hate the things that I was doing. I wasn't living a life of purpose. I wasn't living a life of integrity. In fact, my part of my disease was telling me that my kids would be better off without me, you know, keep going to the end. And of course, there were so many days that I was like, I just want out of this life. I could just, I'm not cut out to live this and I can't get out of this. Um, and so in many ways, I think my addiction maybe kept me alive long enough for me to get into treatment and finally get that help I need and then stay in recovery, which has been the biggest blessing ever. Well, before I let you go, and we appreciate your time, for people out there that are experiencing some level of this, whether it's you know as deep as you got into it or my story or Dan's story, uh, I think for all of us, the, the hardest part is the first step towards help. You know, mm -hmm. we become world-class liars. We lie to ourselves. We lie to people in our lives. Right. We don't want to take ownership of being an addict because who at the end of the day wants to admit to somebody that, you know, that they're vulnerable, that they are an addict, that something has overtaken rational thought. And it's, it's a very strange game we play with ourselves. So mm -hmm. I'm just wondering, 
for the men and women uh, that are listening to this now who hear your story and a level where it resonates with them, either about themselves or a loved one, what advice would you give someone who knows they're in trouble, knows they have a problem, but can't quite figure out how to come out with that problem and get help for it? What would you suggest and what advice would you give a person that's kind of at day one of this? Yeah, so I would, uh, the first thing I would do is you, you mentioned even connection in that, someone who's connecting to this. I would, you know, remind them that they are not alone. There are a lot of people, even though you're in gambling and I'm an addict and an alcoholic, we identify with each other through our stories and through the feeling of, you know, the insanity, the mental obsession, the feeling lost in this. So people understand what you're going through. You're not alone in this. Um, For me, the, you know, I believe the biggest gift that I've ever had in in my sobriety is the fact that I got involved in 12-step programs. Um, and so I would, you know, I can walk into a meeting at any place in time. And in that meeting, there are people who understand me and know what it's like for me to be stuck in the delusion of the disease where it's like, I, I'm not that bad. We're not the same, but I can still go there and sit and listen and hear that, you know, these are people who have recovered. It is possible. So I would, you know, keep doing that, you know, until you're ready to actually ask for help and and let go and change well i appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and uh, we're proud of you of course and i keep doing what you're doing because you sound like you're doing really well and again i appreciate you coming on thank you so much of course thank you guys thanks for having me all right that's alana in canada we'll uh, continue on with hello my name is craig right after this back to more of hello my name is craig on the fan with your host craig carton and supported by the council on compulsive gambling of new jersey 800 gambler okay welcome back to hello my name is craig uh great having alana on the program and uh dan and i uh still back together here you know one of the things uh i'm glad alana said and uh, that i think you know we need to impart on people dan and i think this is one of the reasons we do the show is that people view gambling addicts differently than they view alcoholics or drug addicts. And one of the things we've tried very hard since the inception of the show, almost two years ago now, and I always say, you would try to humanize the addict, but even if we could make people recognize that a compulsive gambler is no different than a drug addict or an alcoholic, and those are groups of people that society has now come around the corner on to the point where they respect the fact that addiction is real with drugs and alcohol, and there's a certain sense of of sympathy or understanding that gamblers still don't get. So being yeah. able to juxtapose our lives with someone whose addiction was you know, you know, drugs or alcohol, I do think is an important thing to do. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's almost like a, a mixed blessing in a way. And I've just had this realization the last, I say, week as I've been delivering to some universities in Pennsylvania in the sense that, you know, people are starting to say, okay, yeah, gambling is an addiction, right? It, it lights up the brain the same way. We recognize it. it it's got a diagnostic code for people who have gambling disorder. Part of the reason they're starting to see this is because as we go college to college and, and speak with people around the country, those individuals are starting to know people in their life 
where they're starting to identify those warning signs and they're starting to see it firsthand in their own circle of friends. So I think we're kind of coming to this realization that that gambling can be for some just as bad as alcohol and drugs because it's starting to impact more and more people. You know, you and I always talk about sometimes those numbers of people impacted or people struggling, they seem really low, Craig. Like some of those studies haven't been done or updated in a while. And and gambling disorder, you can't test for. You can't give me a urine screen where I'm going to pee dice. Right. Nothing's coming out of me. So it, it's hard to find it. It's hard to detect it. But it exists along a continuum, and people are getting exposed to it at an earlier age. So I think people are starting to see it and acknowledge it because they're starting to see some harm creeping up in their circles. Yeah, I should also acknowledge that you know uh, college football started last weekend. NFL started a couple days ago, Thursday night, with that Bills-Rams game. And, of course, tomorrow we've got the rest of the uh, first week, plus Monday night, uh, the first weekend slate of NFL games, meaning you know a good majority of people that don't gamble during the year and only gamble on football are now actively gambling again. So uh, we should probably use the last few minutes of the show just to walk people through a couple things as you get ready to wager on NFL games and on college football games. And the very first thing I would say, which is counterintuitive to every single commercial you hear, is don't bet parlays. If you are looking to try to make this season a positive outcome financially, you are not going to do it by betting parlays, especially same-game parlays. That's number one. Number two, have a plan and stick to your plan. If the plan goes awry... Don't add to the plan and change it and ultimately start chasing your money. Pick the game you like the most. Wager on that game an amount of money that you can afford without it impacting or affecting your daily life or your ability to pay bills or take care of your family. If you win, great. If you lose, leave it alone until the next week. Yeah, and, and part of that comes with, you know, that keeping gambling in its proper place in your life. It's a form of entertainment. You know, if, you, if we go see a bad movie, Craig, we're not going to go see another movie. We're not going to chase the movie until we find the good one. We're going to, okay, the movie wasn't good. I spent my money. I've allocated that. And now let me move on. You know, gambling can't become at the center of everything that we do. And it's that preoccupation. You and I have talked about that for almost the two years that we've done this show. The amount of, of mental um, the time it takes to think about gambling, the handicapping, that's all part of the process. Right. So it eats into everything else we do in life. So it's having a game plan, staying on course, having a budget, even having a time limit, right? Because it's easy to lose an entire Sunday afternoon and even a Saturday night thinking about what you're going to gamble on. That That's energy that's being spent towards the world of gambling. Yep, and listen, and the, the, the websites have uh, little uh, you know, machinations for you to control all that. You can put time limits on things. You can put wager limits on things. You can go out of your way to set up protection if you go down a road where you do lose control. Like Dan said, if you are going to gamble, it should be fun. It should be recre- recreational. It should be additive to the time you spend watching a game. If you are spending ridiculous hours worrying about gambling, trying to process who to wager on, if you find yourself gambling alone, staying home, addicted to your phone, and not socializing anymore, those are all signs of having a problem. And the sooner you recognize 
that you are no longer processing today's action in a healthy manner, the quicker you can, A, get help if you need it, yeah. and B, avoid the, the pratfall of where Dan and I went, which is not a good place to be. Nope. And if I could give anyone advice, I would say this. If you learn anything at all from this show or the personal story that Dan and I have each told and the many guests we've had on the show have told, you don't want to experience anything similar to what Dan and I have experienced. It is not fun. It is devastating to you personally and beyond that to the people you love the most. And as much as you might think, you can get it all back. I'm here to tell you, you can get a lot of it back. There are certain aspects that you will never get back, and those are Mm. important relationships, trust, love, respect. You can get your job back. I did. You can be successful. Dan and I both are. But there are relationships that will never be the same. And you have to decide as you're going down that road, what's more important to you? Your friends, your family, your loved ones, or putting an extra bet in on a game tonight? Yeah. He and I both made the mistake of saying the bet was more important. And I'm telling you, from a loss of freedom to a loss of important relationships, it's real and it's ugly and it ain't fun. And, and I will also add to that, and that's so well said, that there's many people who listen, Craig, who think, well, that won't happen to me. I'm smart enough. That won't be my story. I'm going to be different. I thought I was different, too. You know, I'm sure, Craig, you thought you were different, too. Yeah. There was a point where it's like, okay, I'm not going to have these issues. This won't impact my life. And guess what? Here we are finding ourselves together doing a show to try to help prevent people from developing those same problems. And, and the other thing I want to mention, and this is the right time to do it, this month in the month of September, on September 23rd, the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling is hosting their annual conference. Great. And the title of the conference is Problem Gambling, Be Informed and Be Empowered. It's open to all. If you're interested, if you're listening to this and you want to check it out and see what the speakers look like and you want to attend, it's actually in person down in Mercer County at the Mercer County Community College. And it's on Friday, September 23rd. And you go to the website, www.800gambler.org, to find registration and to learn more. So definitely check that out. If you're listening to this and you want to hear more and learn more, check it out. I appreciate it very much. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up for you this fall. Uh, that's Dan Trelauer with Epic Risk Management. Danny, always appreciate the time. We'll do it again next Saturday, okay? That sounds great, Craig. All right, coming up next, uh, they're back together again. Dan, uh, Joe and Evan, all right? Joe and Evan will be on uh, right now. And then Evan and I, of course, are back Monday. All the football from the weekend and, of course, the important baseball matchups as well. We'll see you Monday at 2 o'clock. Thank you for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig.